Well, good morning or good afternoon to everybody. I hope you're all well. I hope you're all in good spirits on this beautiful day. And in fact, on, in the liturgical ca- ca- calendar, this would be Palm Sunday. So, we are going to now continue with the series that Chris started off for us last week. If you weren't here, uh, where were you? <laughs> the Good Confession. And, you know, Chris reminded us of that the word here, confession, is not confession of our sins. It's actually in the Greek, particularly from 1 Timothy 6.13, it means profession or a declaration of your faith. He also challenged us, and it's a wonderful chapter in 1 Timothy 6, about fighting the good fight of faith. And then we swung down to Matthew 16.16, where we heard the confession of Peter, not the first Pope of Rome, but Peter the Apostle, and Jesus asked him this essential question, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're going to look at another good confession made by a follower of Jesus named Martha, and how she journeyed from belonging to believing, which is the title of today's message. So come with me now down to Luke chapter 10, because what we're going to do, we're going to look at her phase where she belonged. Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way home, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. (laughs) So there we have the story. Now, she was the sister of Mary. Now, this was the Mary we read about in Luke 37, who was a prostitute. In fact, the scripture says that she was an immoral woman. It's almost like the translators were afraid to put that in there, that Jesus would be, as it were, associated with such a person. But she was the one... When he came into the house of the Pharisees, she wet his feet with her tears and she anointed his feet with oil. Now, it's interesting because as as Martha witnessed the mercy and forgiveness of God towards his sister, she began to become a follower because the Pharisees all knew who this woman was. And they were like, hmm, this is Jesus. He is consorting with such a woman. They were so busy making a judgment that they forgot to do what was traditional. That when you went into a Jewish house, because of the fact they wear sandals, they used to wash people's feet. They were more concerned with who Jesus was associating with than doing the traditional thing. But she recognized who he was, and she, this was a way of worshipping him. Now, obviously, Martha witnessed all of these things. And she became a, began to follow him. Now... Martha, we read in the passage, was distracted by many things. She 
belonged. And we have a phrase here at the vineyard, and we say that you can belong before you believe. And at this stage in her journey, she was belonging. And as is common with people who belong, they get busy doing stuff. And she was doing stuff, and she, you know, Jesus came, so she got busy doing stuff, and she got upset because she wasn't getting any affirmation for it. Her sister, who had experienced the grace and mercy of God, just wanted to be with Jesus. She wasn't concerned about the other stuff. Now then, Martha hadn't yet, had yet to experience the unconditional forgiveness and mercy of God as it was demonstrated to, his sister, to her sister. But what actually happens, and it's common with people who belong, they think that what they need to do is be busy doing stuff. But let me tell you something. Paul, in one of his letters to Titus, says to people, look, he saved us, Jesus, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You can belong before you believe. However, our good works and activities will never cover the stuff that we need to be rescued from. Only Jesus can rescue us from that. And you see, we change the words. You see, we've got stuff. That's just shorthand for sin. We need rescue. That's just shorthand to be saved. And business won't save you. Now, what was the difference between Mary and Martha? Well, Mary knew that her sins were forgiven. So she could be. She just wanted to be in his presence. Martha, because she had not experienced this, lived from a place of doing, which looks for external affirmation. So let me summarize it for you then. Mary was affirmed from above. Martha was affirmed through her work. And herein lies the problem for many of us. You see, if you are affirmed through the things that you do or the things you've achieved or the status that you have, when you lose that status, you lose that sense of who you are. So friends, whatever job title you have, that's what you do. Whatever role you carry out, that's what you do, but that's not who you are. To be affirmed from above, Matthew 3.17, God says to his son, Jesus, before he does any works of power, before he raises the dead, before he heals the sick, before he goes to the cross, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And for all of us, we need to hear that in our hearts that God is pleased with us because of who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, who you are is that you're a son and you're a daughter of God. You've been born from above. You've been born of the Spirit. And you are a son and an heir and a daughter and an heir of God. And you're affirmed wherever you go. You see, I'm affirmed before I preach the sermon. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I'm living out of sonship, not out of giftedness or status, or title. 
And that's something that God has to work in us all the time. Because we are performance orientated. But you see, Martha, she could sit Jesus' feet because she just wanted to be in his presence. Friends, ah, oh, there's something there, you know, for us. You know, when you come to church, when do you come to church? Do you come to church to worship God and serve his people? Or you do just come to church so you can sit outside there and have coffee and just chill while the worship's going on? Friends, <laughs> when you experience the glory of his goodness, you want to be in here worshiping him and giving him everything you've got. I don't condemn the people out there sitting coffee because you've got, you know, but friends, get your priorities right. It's about worshiping. It's the most important thing. It's more important than to preach because the worship is for him. This is for us. So, Mary knew what it was to be affirmed from above. Martha was affirmed through her work. So that's her, what I call, belonging face. And that's moving to her believing face. Come with me to John eleven seventeen. Now, I'll give you the background. Uh, this is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the death and dead. And in the early parts of the chapter, we read some nice things. It says, I think John eleven five. It says, Jesus loves Mary and Martha. You know, in other words, this is a place, a safe place, where Jesus could go with Lazarus, where he could just chill. He could be himself. He didn't have to be the son of God. God, he didn't have to do signs and miracles. He could just chill, drink wine, eat bread, and just chill. And they just loved him for who he was. Now, it says that Lazarus, whom he loved, was sick. And the disciples with him kind of said, look, Lazarus is sick. And, it's <laughs> and Jesus says, okay, well, I'll stay another couple of days. The disciples are thinking, I don't understand this. If you love... Lazarus, and you know he's sick. Why are you staying two extra days? In other words, <laughs> Jesus did the disciples' heads in because he wasn't listening to them. He was listening to what the Spirit was saying. And then when he gets the message that Lazarus is dead, he said, we will go. They're like, what have we got here? When the man had a, was alive, he stayed two days. Now that the man is dead, he's going to go down there. And by the time he gets down there, Lazarus has been dead four days. So you can imagine, that, well, that's why in there's a strange thing. One of the disciples says, yes, we will go and see Lazarus and die with him. Witness. I, think, I look at it and I think, that don't make any sense. That's because they were confused, just as we are. Anyway, he gets down there and we pick it up here now at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles away. It's in the text to show you it wasn't far, even on foot, from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Well, you could preach on that. Lord... Martha, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Good religious answer. Mark, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Hmm. Great stuff. Martha went out to meet Jesus, and a statement could be interpreted like this. What you need to understand, when you, uh, you need to soak in the word when you read it. it you know, it's like marinating good meat. You know, you make the marinade for it to have, be effective, and you need to put it in the chili, basically, in the fridge for at least six hours. Then the marinade can get into the meat and into the sinews so that when you come to cook, the, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting carried away here. Yeah, I'm a preacher, not Aisley Harriet. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Now, back on the text. The important thing is you need to soak in the text so you get the understanding of what's going on here. If this is how, if I've added here parentheses, and this is what, I, what she really would say if we were, she would say this What took you so long? If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Because that's the inference of the text. She's really wanting to tell him off. You know, I sent a message to you, and now you turn up four days later. It's, it's no good, he's dead. Then she kind of gathers herself because she's talking to the Son of God. God, God, no. She's talking to Jesus. Yeah, because he doesn't look like any different to you and me. As I jokingly said to the group before, the chances are he looks more like me than you. But <laughs> some of you, but that's not the point. <laughs> Isn't heaven going to be great when we see Jesus? Yay! <laughs> some of us are going to be, yes, we told you. <laughs> However, she kind of gathers herself back and realizes and says now, you know, she kind of regathers herself. <laughs> I, I know he will rise again. Oh, Biggie problem. Um, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is not, this is not, it's, this is not yet personal for her. She's acknowledging the faith of Jesus for things to happen, but not her own. Then Jesus, then she, <laughs> Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she gives a good, solid, religious answer. And friends, if you're just someone who belongs, if you've been around us long enough and you, you've prayed a few prayers and you've had God provide stuff for you and that, you know what to say because you learn the language. So she gives a good, solid answer here. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus just comes in, he says this. He makes this profession. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he answers this question, which has eternal import for Martha. Do you believe this? Her response, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. In that moment, she moves from belonging to believing, from doing to being, from darkness to light. And she doesn't come to this conclusion through an intellectual empirical study of the scriptures where we look at the Greek and the Hebrew from the Septuagint, where we study and we dig, delve, deep, go down deep and find out the root word. No, it was a revelation of the Spirit of God 
that brought her to that place. It's the same thing that happens to any person who is what we say, born again of the Spirit. You can belong, but there comes a point when Jesus will come to you and say, do you believe? And that as the revelation of who he is comes to you by the power of the Spirit, you say, yes, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And it's a revelation, not just an intellectual encounter. So then, Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. And we read in Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, and of course it's cross-referenced into Luke 4, 18. He came to what? Bring good news to the afflicted. You know, you may be afflicted with injustice. You may be afflicted with sickness. You may be afflicted with challenges that are outside of your control. But he comes to bring good news to you. That whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, whatever your child, trial, Jesus, if he comes into it, he can change it or you can give you the grace to walk through it so the smell of the fire is not on you when you come out of it. I, you're not bitter. Yeah. Binds up the brokenhearted. You know, if you're brokenhearted because you've had a broken relationship, you thought this person was the right person and then you find there was someone else. Or you're brokenhearted because you lost a loved one. And this person was a pivotal person in your life. When he comes to bind up your broken heart. He comes to proclaim liberty to the captives. Where is it that you've been going for comfort in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your test? Have you been doing things that are self-destructive? Have you become addicted to whatever it is? It could be alcohol, it could be pornography, whatever it is that you're seeking for comfort. Well, Jesus comes to break the power of that, to set you free from it, to deal with the root of the issue and then to set you free so you can be and do what God always intended you to be and do. And you can find your comfort, you can find your solace, you can find your peace at the feet of the Savior. Just as Mary did. Comfort for all those who mourn. You know, we, we have people in our congregation who have lost the, the mom or a dad. Jesus knows what it's like. It says shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept when he heard of the death of Lazarus. God's comfort is not like the comfort of human beings because it's there, but we have to come to it. But he comes to comfort all those who mourn. Maybe you're mourning over the loss of a job. Maybe you're mourning over the loss of a a child. Maybe you're mourning over the loss of something that was important to you, a house, whatever. These are all things that we can mourn over. But Jesus comes to comfort you in the midst of that. He comes to give hope to those who are in despair. You may have made decisions in your life where you find now that that decision is impacting on you and you feel despair because there doesn't seem to be a way to get out of it. But let me tell you this. As you come to Jesus, will he remove the despair? I don't know. But you know what? He'll change you so that the despair is no longer despair because he gives you hope. A hope that is steadfast and certain. The hope that will cause you to walk through it. He comes to give joy to those who are heartbroken. It says they're a garden of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And you know, there may be people who are weighed down with stuff. 
And Jesus wants, and it's taking your joy, it's sapping your energy, it's sapping, it's affecting your relationships, and you are miserable. And you know it. And Jesus wants to come and he wants to deal with the root of the misery. He wants to get to the, to the root of it. And you know, the funny thing is that when he comes in and he deals with the root, he gives you joy in the midst of whatever you're going through. You see, joy is not about having a, a bank account with lots of money in it. Then I will be happy. You know, most of, well, you know, that's not what it's about. It could be that you've got challenges financially, you've got challenges emotionally, you've got challenges emo- relationally, but Jesus is with you in the midst of it and you can know his joy in the midst of it. Joy in the midst of trial. That's what James says. Count it all joy, my brethren, that you meet, sisters, that you, when you meet your various trials. Because Jesus is with you. You're not doing it on your own. That's one of the reasons God puts you in community in the church. You see, the church, hmm, the church that I used to go to, you see, everybody looked good. And when the time came now after, you know, we're in a life group or house group or home group or whatever you want to call it group, right? And we'd read the scriptures, had some worship or had some worship, had the scriptures. And it came time now for us to share if there's any issues that we have. Anybody have any trials or tests? No? More cake. (laughs) And we'd all go home and you'd go and cry privately with your stuff because you were afraid to share what was really going on. Well, we've sought here not to build a church like that. This is a church where if you bring your stuff, no one's going to go, well, really? I would never thought of it. Well, look at you. Mm -mm -mm. Well, really? No, we're not going to do that. In fact, the thing is that you tell us, I remember with one lady and she shared what the big issue was and we said, well, is that it? And she kind of, well, you're not shocked? I said, no, because we're all sinners here. We've all got stuff. Yeah, but what the thing is, Jesus comes in and through what he's done for us, we deal with the stuff. So which leads us to the next point here. So how is, is this dealt with? It's through the cross. It's the cross. The wondrous cross on which Isaac Watts said the Prince of Glory died. See his hands, his head, his feet. Where there did such love and sorrow meet. The cross is the place that Jesus set his face to go f- towards. Having come through Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday and, and heard the adulation of the people, he turned away from that and set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Because it was a date with destiny that would change the whole of history. And there he experienced the abuse. He was falsely accused by the jealous Pharisees. We know the story, and as we go through this week, we will recount it. We will come on Friday and see the film, and we can only do the film jelly every couple of years, because when we come out, every eye is red. No one talks to each other. And they tell us that it was more harrowing than that. But this Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That through... What he did at Calvary, all our transgressions, all the things that we've done wrong, all the things that were hostile to us were nailed to that cross. Your sin, my sin, 
He became the sin sense of the universe on that cross. And there, he pacified God's anger against our sinfulness. He atoned, that is, he paid the price for what you and I did. And because of that finished work, it says this, having, puri- having made purification for our sins once for all, Hebrews 1.3 tells us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This Jesus is in heaven, but we're going to get to that next week. So he's made purification for your sin and my sin. And whatever sin that is hostile to you, that has attacked you, Jesus has erased it. Because the sin that we had was indelible. We couldn't remove it. But only the blood of Jesus could remove it and atone it. Amen. Now, if today you know that you belong, yet you do not believe, Jesus would say to you what he said to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this? And like Martha, you can move from belonging to believing as you make your good confession. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Mashiach. You are the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world. Will you please stand? And would the band please come up? As I was preparing this message, I just felt the Lord say to me that there are a number of people here who, yes, they belong, they like to come to the church, they enjoy being involved, uh, they, they do lots of stuff, but they do not believe. And this morning can be a morning for you where you move from belonging to believing. Where you move from just doing to being. You move from darkness to light as you make your confession that this Jesus isn't just a good man, isn't just a great teacher, isn't just a prophet, but he's the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. This is the Jesus whom we worship. And you can move, as I said, from belonging to believing. And what I'm going to ask you to do now ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if that's you, then I'd like you to raise your hand and we'd like to pray for you at the end of the service so you can make that transition, that that divine transaction can take place where you move from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to God. So if you'd like to raise your hand, and I can see one already, just raise your hand. And we'll pray for you. That you can not just be someone who belongs, but someone who believes and experiences what it is to be forgiven. Experiences what it is to be received. The sweetness of that. And of course there are others here. You've got other issues you can come to at the end of the service. But particularly for those who don't know Jesus. 
Father, we bless you that you came in the person of your son, Jesus. That you experienced pain, you experienced sorrow, you experienced tiredness, you experienced rejection for us. And then you chose of your own volition to drink that cup and to go to the cross on our behalf. And on that wondrous cross, as you were there, open to public display, you removed every sin that was hostile to us. You removed it out of the way. And we read, Lord, that in this realm of the Spirit, you triumphed over sin, over Satan, over sickness and over death itself. Thank you that you are the life giver. And we bless your name. Amen.